Hello, everyone. Uh, George here uh, on behalf of the MSP Initiative. You know, Alex Standers is usually our mic man, uh, but he is not available today. So kind of tag teaming in WWE style. And uh, today our topic is everyone's working from home. Now, what is it really like, right? What's that experience, right, from a connectivity standpoint, especially with all of the competing devices at home that are trying to be on the internet at once, whether it's kids work going to, you know, e-learning school, whether it's the streaming services, whether it's multiple professionals, you know, that are working off the same internet connection and they have to be live all the time. I mean, there's a lot of different permutations to what that looks like. Um, so today we wanted to bring somebody on board that could really give us stats, right? And talk about all of the duct tape challenges that we've all probably been running into over the last three or four weeks. So I'd like to, to introduce Jeff. Uh, Jeff, go ahead and give some background to yourself and uh, tell the audience uh, where you come from. Yeah, guys. So uh, Jeff Burchett, uh, Big Leaf Network's pleasure to be here today. Uh, I am Chief Revenue Officer and Co-Founder uh, here at Big Leaf. Uh, first one to admit, while Co-Founder, I approached this from the go-to-market uh, and sales and marketing side of the business. So uh, I've got co-founders with better technical chops than I do, but relative to this problem and what we're seeing out there, happy to share some thoughts and what we're seeing from our partners and, and from our customers and the reason we chose to dive headfirst into the um, Big Leaf home office version of our solution and bringing SD-WAN into home offices to deal with this whole new set of challenges. Okay, so Jeff, there's a lot of people working from home right now, not just domestically, I'm, I'm talking about internationally, right? Yep. Uh, and we all know that people we're not really prepared. Like some people in the organization were probably set up to work remote because they were at some, you know, intermittently, whatever. But then when like everybody else was forced to go at home, we've heard stories of people that like, you know, managers and owners telling people, take the computer underneath your desk and go home and plug it in. Um, like didn't even consult IT per se. They just said, do it. So I'm really curious to understand like, do you have, like, what's, you know, there's a lot of speculation, right? How many people are working from home? Uh, what percentages of organizations? What does this look like after we're, you know, we're kind of loosened back up and people can go back to the office. So like, let's share with the audience from your perspective, what can you tell us on what's actually out there numbers wise? Yeah. So um, we've been doing a lot of research around this and actually some of the best studies we've seen have, have come from Gartner and man, if you're going to trust anybody in the market, you know, Gartner's probably one of the better ones when it comes to numbers out there. Uh, a recent Gartner survey showed that before COVID-19, uh, roughly 4.7 million Americans work from home. That was a, just a, a touch over 3% of the workforce were work from home employees. Um, post COVID-19, post the mad dash of everybody figuring out how they, they work at home. Uh, according to Gartner, 88% of businesses in the US have had to move some, if not all of their employees to work from home which now accounts to 57% of the U.S. workforce is working from home right now, which is roughly 85 million people working from home right now. So think about that. 60 you know, days ago, 90 days ago, it was less than 5 million people. Now it's 85 million people working from home. You know, I, I can't even imagine what that's put the, the MSP partners that we have and that you guys have and the people that are on this presentation through uh, over that, the last probably 30 or 45 days of figuring out how the heck are we going to get all these people home? How much of it is literally grab that old tower uh, PC underneath your desk and try to get that home and see if you can get that up and running? Or how many laptops can we get our hands on? Or man, I, I, I hope that we can get VoIP handsets out and, and plugged in. Wait a minute, where do we plug it in at, right? Where is Where does the internet come into the house for somebody in accounting that doesn't have any technical background, like, like all of those challenges is what we're seeing across the board right now. And again, that's across 85 million people. Now, I don't think that, that num the number itself, 85 million, I think is big, but I don't think people are shocked by that, right? We've all been hit by this. We're all, most of us working from home at this point with the exception of, of essential workers. The crazy thing in the same study from Gartner is what they think life's going to look like after COVID-19. And this same survey um, that went out, 74% of the CFOs that responded to it um, believe that they will keep employees working from home post COVID-19. Uh, may not be on a full-time basis, you know, maybe you know, splitting time, half-time, et cetera, but 74% of the CFOs running those companies 
believe that a significant chunk of their workforce will continue to work from home in some way, shape, or form after COVID-19. So percentage-wise, you know, like of 100% of the organization, like, and does it, like your number, does that depend on size of organization, right? Like the 500 plus versus the, you know, one to 100, right? Like percentage-wise, could you give us a guesstimate of how much of the organization will remain working from home after things are opened up versus are, you know, kind of all stuck now? You know, I don't see the the numbers on that from, from the Gartner report, from just the general conversations we've had. And I think a big part of this will be the, the byproduct of, of how we, we reopen America, right? Of, of what this starts to look like of people going back to work. And I think of all the plans I've seen, you know, of people going back, it's, it's a staged approach, right? It may be um, only a certain percentage of the organization goes back, or it's kind of a rotating schedule where some people go back on some days and other people go back on other days because our offices aren't designed to give people that six feet of separation. Uh, so we got to kind of manage into that. So I, I hate to speculate on numbers I don't have, but I think if we just think about it practically, um, a lot of us are going to be working in this manner, if not full-time, at least part-time for the foreseeable future. And personally, I expect that to be one of the lasting changes from this whole thing. It's the same way that that travel and being on an airplane changed after 9-11, work from home is going to be different. The way that we approach it, um, what people do, how people you know, react to this, I think it's going to be irresponsible for any business owner, any management professional to not have a work from home contingency plan after this, right? Because we've seen what has to happen. And even if everything goes back to normal, some you know, amazing vaccine comes out or new drug, whatever it is, and everything's cured and we're all fine. We're all going to remember what happened, right? And we're all going to know that, that we have to be prepared for it the, the next time around. And work from home is going to be a big part of that. Fair enough. So listen, I, I've, I've heard horror stories. I mean, I've, I've experienced it myself. Um, the Wi-Fi versus the wired, the, you know, competing resources for the, for the, you know, the connectivity coming into the house, uh, depending on where you are, maybe now that everyone's actually at home during business hours, that shared cable network that's in your neighborhood is just getting completely taxed. Um, there's just a lot of band-aiding that's occurred, right? Because people have just figured out whatever they had to do, right? To get people to go. And there's different technologies, Jeff, that are being deployed, right? There's VPN, there's screen share, or the log me ins, the screen connects, or whatever. The, there's... Um, you know, hybrid apps that are uploading and downloading, right? The OneDrives, the Dropboxes, mm -hmm. I mean, so on and so forth. Not any one solution is the answer, but I can tell you the experience from, you know, product to product, solution to solution, connectivity points is way different. Um, so like, where do you start here? Yeah, so I think one of the first things that we need to acknowledge is that the, the internet infrastructure coming into our homes wasn't designed for this, right? It, I mean, the internet infrastructure coming to homes, it's, it's usually, you know, big asymmetric speeds, you know, how, you know, it's sold by download speeds, right? Big posters from the cable company, you know, 300 megs down for $99 a month and that sort of stuff. And that's how we've kind of consumed um, internet in the home for a long time. And there's never been a connotation of the quality of the internet. It's always been a, a, a byproduct of speed and that speed has been in download, right? And for most of the things we used to do in our homes, that was an acceptable strategy. I mean, sure, we complain about Netflix from time to time, and, and your kids may be frustrated with latency on the internet connection because of uh, Nintendo Switch or, or Xbox, but for the most part, it was designed to do one thing. We're, we're using home internet in a completely different manner now, right? The two-way communication or, or two-way flow of traffic over home internet has reached a whole new ballgame. I'm streaming video right now both out to the world and, and coming in symmetrically at the same time and while i'm doing this my wife is doing the same thing downstairs my son is right now hopefully working on his reading assignment but he's got a google hangout for his classroom in uh, another 50 minutes that i gotta help him out with right like it just the amount of interactive applications passing over the top of this critical foundational infrastructure is completely different and we have to acknowledge that so how do we acknowledge that and what do we do? Well, yeah, there are band-aids. Use some applications over others or change the configuration of one application over another or maybe go into a firewall and change a, a policy setting, et cetera. But 
the problem with all this is that's just as they are just band-aids, right? They, they aren't fixing the, the foundational problem. And that's where we've got to start. We've got to get solutions into place that, that build an environment for us to not only do what we need to do at home, but actually to thrive in what we need to do at home. We shouldn't accept crappy Zoom at home if that's the only way we can communicate with people. Uh, we shouldn't deal with poor voice quality uh, for our customer support agents that used to be in a call center and are now at home. Like that stuff needs to be crystal clear. That's a, a customer uh, impacting role that, that that communication needs to be pristine and it needs to be critical because that's the face of your company, you know, moving out to that. So to, that that, is, so to yeah. that point, Jeff, what about all the people that are like, hey, I, I'm, I called the internet provider and I paid an extra 10, 15, $20 per month and they bumped my speed up. That's supposed to help, right? Yeah, so I, I love that, that one, right? That comes up all the time. The analogy I use around that is you're driving a Ferrari and you're driving a Ferrari down the highway and the highway is littered in potholes. And you called the highway department to complain. And what the highway department did was created eight more lanes with an equal number of potholes, right? It's, this is not a capacity issue. This is a quality issue. HD video streams aren't taking up hundreds of megs that justify the need for a gigabit download in your home. What you need for Zoom isn't a ton of speed. You need really good packet loss latency and jitter, right? You need prioritization for competing resources. Um, you need a, a way to identify all the applications, whether it's my Zoom video conference or my wife's uh, Microsoft Teams session that's also using video, like understanding what those are, giving each of them the appropriate level of prioritization and prioritizing those over, say, Netflix or Disney Plus that, that my kid's watching at, at any given moment and, and, and dealing with, with all of that. And that's where we need to approach this issue at a network level, um, put the right network in place, and then you can run the applications you want to over the top of it, having the confidence of the right network in place. I think okay, the challenge, so though, is that we got a, a network challenge in residential internet, we got an application challenge in, in how things like voice and video need to run. We need something in the middle. And that's the opportunity that SD-WAN has, I think, to, to fit into the middle of all this, to, to overlay in the middle and to, to understand what's going on on the underlying internet connections, what the requirements of the applications are, and how we bring that together. I think that the challenge for a lot of people when you bring that up, though, has been, well, wait a minute, isn't SD-WAN that enterprise thing that I use to connect multiple offices together, not... How do I improve performance for applications in a home out to BVoIP and out to Microsoft and out to Salesforce and out to AWS and out to NetSuite and, and out to all these different environments? That okay. was so, the catalyst so, behind our home office. So, so, so let me get this straight. Let me rewind for a second. The, the bumping up the juice with the ISP, right? More lanes, still the same speed bumps. Coupled with the residential routers, right? They're not using business grade gear at home. They're running the net gears or the, or the ISP provided, you know, action tech or whatever it is. Um, you know, and then here's the other reality, right? Now the number of devices at home hitting that home router are exponential, even in the last 12 months, right? I think the average per home I read on an article recently was like 15 devices per average per, per router, right? Per residential mm -hmm. router. So like, it sounds like there's multiple speed bumps along the route. How does that actually smooth out then? I guess that's the confusing part. If the ISP's connectivity has got bumps, how, how are you bypassing that, that highway if it's not the right path? Yeah, so I think, again, let's, let's acknowledge that there's no one thing that's going to make this all go away, right? And I think the, the best part about this is this is the opportunity for our mutual MSP partners out there, right? Is, is there is an opportunity right now to understand the challenge, to identify the right tools to address the challenge. And as you address them, you're making a major impact on that business and that employee's ability to use the tools they need to, to do their job. So Wi-Fi could be an issue, right? And I think there's a lot of interesting tools out there. I am by no means a, a Wi-Fi expert. However, um, I think our, our MSP partners are, right? And, and they can identify things to, to deal with that. Um, I think this is the same issue, frankly, that we've seen play out in the cloud migration and in the business space we're seeing in the home and that MSP partners um, from before they were MSPs and they were hourly IT consultants, right? They had the LAN button down, right? They figured out how to build a, a rock solid local area network, whether it was wireless or not, they could control that infrastructure. It was inside of their domain. They knew what to do and, and they could get it set up. And inside that applications would live and they could control the, the servers that those applications were on and they could build a controlled environment to give their customers success. And that was the value they brought to that business. 
right? Then we move a bunch of stuff out to the cloud and that created a whole new set of challenges for a lot of MSPs, right? I remember a lot of MSPs in the early days were apprehensive and, and, and fighting the cloud because it took some of the, the control away from them. Yet, all of a sudden, a generation of MSPs kind of stepped up and said, well, wait a minute, we can get really good at stuff in the cloud, right? This is stuff we can learn. It's not that much harder, that much different. So we're going to figure it out. We're going to become experts in maintaining infrastructure in the cloud. We're going to be experts on, on SaaS applications. We're going to be experts on UCAS applications like BVoIP, right? And, and we're going to bring all this together. And that's going to let us jump up to the, the next level. Well, that same next jump up, that, that same opportunity is now presented with home office, right? That, that you can, the good news is the network's a heck of a lot smaller, right? So there's less stuff to deal with, right? But you can find uh, Wi-Fi solutions that you can support in the home, much like you supported the, the LAN. You're already supporting the applications in the cloud. The applications aren't any different. I'm using the same tools in my job now that I was in the office. The difference is that path in the middle. And the opportunity I think that SD-WAN created for MSPs in a traditional environment was unlocking that black hole of the internet, right? And, and creating uh, a path over the top of an internet connection or connections, again, doesn't have to be multiple, you can run it over a single internet connection, um, to really excel and give those applications the performance they need and provide that end-to-end -end solution to the business. You now have that same opportunity with all these, these workers working from home right, of, of saying, hey, how do we take tools like SD-WAN and roll them over top of, of internet connections to give us the visibility we need into that internet connection, right, to see if that's really the problem, as well as give us the right level of prioritization and identification of those applications to, to make sure things are working the way they're supposed to and, and get us to a happy place at the end of the day. So for the layman, right, for somebody yep. who just has never run into this topic or conversation or technology, in layman's terms, what does SD-WAN do that my non SD-WAN connection at home is, is not doing like, what is yeah. the best? Yeah. And, and I think this is, I'm glad you asked that because there is a, I think a preconceived notion of SD-WAN that SD-WAN is one thing. It's site to site networking. It's meant for enterprises, how we connect offices together, et cetera, et cetera. So it serves no purpose in this environment. Uh, I take a very different approach to that. A, a big leaf at the core of what we've done. It's always been this concept of, cloud first SD-WAN, how do we architect a path from a location out to any SaaS or cloud environment to ensure those applications work the way they're supposed to for public internet connections. In a home environment, what we're doing is, is we're adding a whole new level of intelligence to the existing internet connectivity in place, right? So we're an overlay. You terminate the customer's internet connection on our router, from our router you go into the Wi-Fi router AP that the MSP ships out to, to the home user. And from that router, we then tunnel the customer traffic over their internet connection back to our network where we peer directly with the likes of Microsoft, Google, you know, AWS, CDNs, application providers, et cetera. And that tunneling gives us a whole new level of visibility of that internet connection, right? So it's not the, I'm having a problem. I don't know where the problem is. I think it may be internet. So I'm going to call my ISP and my ISP says, oh, the green light's on the router. It's not my problem. Click, mm -hmm. right? It's now saying, no, like we have detailed information on packet loss and latency and jitter. We can see what's going on. But beyond that visibility, we're also layering a whole new level of intelligence into that path. So we're auto identifying all of the applications. You know, you're not going and creating manual policies for Zoom and then not realizing that your wife's using Microsoft Teams, you got to go make a manual policy for that. And then we got to update the policy when your kid's using Google Hangouts. And we got to change the policy because we rolled Disney Plus onto the network and that's going to get deprioritized. Eliminating all of that and, and using intelligence to auto-identify all of the applications. And then as we identify them, giving each of them the appropriate level of prioritization as they pass over that internet connection in both directions. And it really giving us that that experience that we're looking for unique to the application requirements you know for for voice on bvoip it's it's about packet loss and, and latency and, and jitter right and getting that that top level of prioritization which means we may deprioritize something like sharepoint which who cares if if the packet loss is a little bit higher the latency is a little bit higher right like let's move that down let's let that file transfer go a little bit slower and let's provide a new level of intelligence over that internet connection and then if and when it's appropriate to know for some employees or for some environments, we may need a second internet connection, right? Let's not just assume that everybody needs two internet connections to solve this problem like most of the SD-WAN providers are saying out there, but rather, hey, let's use the intelligence to say, hey, in this scenario, due to the nature of this internet connections and the needs of this application, this employee needs an LTE router. Not all employees need an LTE router. I think it's very easy for a business owner or for an executive or for an operations lead to say, hey, I'm supporting 
33 call center agents or, or customer support agents. Uh, I need all of them to have crystal clear performance. I've got visibility into the underlying internet connectivity for all of them. And for four of them, I am going to go ahead and buy uh, an LTE solution as a secondary path for them. But I don't need to do that for the other 29 of them. That's interesting. So, you know, is the, you know, so let me boil it down. Let me try and like, yeah. you know, take what you just said and, and, and take it to the grass, the grass uh, tax here. So I'm tunneling traffic over my ISP out to wherever I'm going. It ends up going back to your data centers network, whatever you want to call it. And that's supposed to clear up the speed bumps that I otherwise would be going over if I didn't have this, but then I have to install something at the customer site, right? There's a box yep. that needs to be plugged in. And then like how, how affordable, like, let's say you had fifth, like, let's say the average, even MSP looking at their own organization, say the average MSP has 15, 18, 20 people in it, whatever it may be. I now have to, to, to subscribe to some solution times eight, yeah. 15, 18, 20. What is typically ballpark? What is yeah, that? So our, our list price on our solution is $109 a month. Our MSP partners buy at a discount off of that, depending on their volume with that. And, and they, you know, sell that back, mark that back up. So for argument's sake, let's say versus the, instead of saying 109, let's say a hundred ish bucks a month, right. Per employee. Um, you know, I think probably pre COVID-19, you look at that like, well, do I really need that? You know, what does that look like? Well, we look at that now and the, the idea of, okay, okay. Um, a contact center agent, right? You're going to spend an extra hundred dollars a month, but that's going to ensure that they have crystal clear communications with every single customer or user that, that calls in for support. That agent is dealing with, you know, let's say 20, 30, 40 people a day, a day, right? And all of a sudden we spread that across a, a couple of days. Now we're spending less than a buck per customer to improve their experience when they need support. Let's take that same thing and apply that to a white collar worker. Let's look at an attorney, right? You've got an attorney that is billing 250, 300 bucks an hour, right? And we're talking about an, an extra hundred bucks a month. You protect one Zoom video conference, right? You clean up one conference call. That solution has paid for itself, right? Let's look at it for the MSPs themselves, right? So you're an MSP. Your, your financial model is based on a, a per user count. Your customers are saying, hey, we're moving everybody to work from home. Your options are, I just don't support work from home customers, which means I'm not getting that, that monthly revenue on a per user basis. I'm shrinking my business. Or I'm going to go ahead and support all of, of those users. Um, and now I got to deal with, uh, you know, some users who were having constant problems and calling into my support team on a regular basis and a support phone call cost me 65 bucks, a, you know, per phone call, right. Or, or, or some number in there. And these five users at one of my biggest customers are calling in multiple times a week saying, uh, I can't use my video conference. My VoIP sucks. I, I can't do virtual desktop, et cetera. They never complain about the internet, right? They never think that it's an internet connection. It's always an application issue. And if it's an application issue, it's the MSP's fault, you know, and, and you're getting a, all of those support phone calls. And you say, I can make that go away for a hundred bucks a month. I can make this a more, a more profitable um, scenario. I, I think there's a lot of different ways to, to spin this and to justify this expense right now. Let me ask uh, a question. Yeah. With the temporariness of some of these people working from home, right? At some point, the office does reopen, right? And some yep. people go back to work. Is this an on-off, right? Like how flexible is the subscriptionality of SD-WAN for home? So it varies by provider, right? And it varies by solution. The approach we took is, we've always taken this approach of being embarrassingly easy to work with, right? We want to be very simple. We want to be very straightforward. We want to be a good partner to our MSP partners. We want to be a good partner to our customers. We want to be a good partner to that end user. A great example of this is when we rolled out the solution. And I'll be the first one to admit this was a, an idea that we had talked about as an organization for a while in light of what happened. Um, we fast-tracked it. I, I kind of jokingly said, you know, I should say around the office, but around the Zoom these days. Um, you know, we built the plane mid-flight, right? So, so we, we changed up our existing platform to better cater to the needs. And it's not perfect. We're still making iterations and changes on it as we go, but we wanted to get something out to market. But one of the things that we thought was super important to get on market right out of the gate was a month-to-month -month option. 
right? So for the, the temp for those that will be temporary, great. We've got you taken care of. Use it while you need it. When you don't, you know, send it back, cancel the subscription. We're good with that. For some people, that means I'm going to actually pick it up and move it back to the office when I'm done. But for a lot of them, frankly, we expect that it's going to stick around, not because we held them to a contract, but because they're going to need this, this improved experience in the home for an extended period of time. And again, going back to those stats we were talking about, another interesting stat um, that I saw, actually, and you asked this question earlier, I'm going back to a, a different uh, part of my notes here. This is a different study by a group called a Global Workplace Analytics. And uh, it says that we expect to see after, so after COVID-19, we expect to see 25 to 30% of the workforce working at home uh, one or more days a week for the next two years. And the typical employer uh, can save around $11,000 per year per employee in this scenario, right? So you look at that savings alone, right? Shrink in the office and all of a sudden, you know, if you're spending that much money, spending, you know, a hundred bucks a month, for that employee over 12 months, that's 1200 bucks a year, but you saved 11,000 on it. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the, I'll take the, that difference. I mean, if that's re if that's real, that's hard cash, right? Yep. I mean, I can budget off of that. So, so, so let me go this way. How far does this type of solution go to counter the just shaky internet connection, right? I mean, some people just are on the edge of the line. It could be DSL. It could be a shaky cable connection. It could be a 4G, right? There's a lot of different ways to get to the yep. internet. Like how far does this type of technology offset a not so great connection? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And it, it's a funny one to answer because um, when Joel and I first launched a Big Leaf, um, we had a handful of partners that were pointing us in the direction of, you really need to support single circuit deployment, right? That not everybody's going to do two internet connections. And, and man, we fought that. We fought mm -hmm. that because we, we really felt like we were limiting the functionality. I mean, some of the cool stuff we can do, same IP failover, right? So we keep a, a static IP address constant regardless of which internet connection you're using. That provides seamless failover for every application you're using without unique configurations over two internet connections. There's a lot of value around that. That's one of our unique value propositions. That only means anything if you got two internet connections, right? So if we're only supporting single circuit, we're limiting that value. We're limiting our load balancing value. It really becomes a QoS value. That's what we thought it was limited to. Nevertheless, we, we reluctantly went into starting to support single circuit deployments. We were dealing with a lot of small businesses. Um, they liked the story of SD-WAN, but they didn't want to run out and buy two internet connections, especially if they didn't know if they really needed to, et cetera. So we started doing it. And uh, the results were eye-opening for us as the founding team and, and as the organization of, of how big of a benefit we, we were providing. And it comes from, from a couple different places. So first off, the significance of bi-directional quality of service over public internet connections is very, very significant, right? This isn't QoS on your router, whether it's uh, a business grade router or a home router, it says it's got QoS. Well, that QoS only does outbound only, it has no control over inbound, so there's nothing there, right? That bi-directional control, that end-to-end -end QoS, right? So it's not just limited to only at the router. It's, it's also providing QoS in the backbone of the cable provider's uh, network where their oversubscription rate is really, really high, right? And, and we got to adapt to the fact that, yeah, it's supposed to be a 100 by 20 internet connection, but we're actually only getting, you know, 42 by 6 right now. Well, we got to adapt to that. And that's not happening at the edge. That's happening somewhere in, in the backbone. That QoS becomes a really important part of that. I think the other part of that is having our network backbone, right? So, so we operate our own, I'm getting used to saying international backbone. Up until last year, it was, it was nationwide. We actually have deployed, uh, since deployed in, in Europe as well. Um, that backbone, peering directly with as many different cloud content SaaS providers as we can and controlling that end-to-end -end experience and having an alternative path to route around issues. Uh, you know, I think it was last week or the week before there were um, some internet backbone issues. I, I won't name names among carriers, but a handful of carriers had s some issues. And that was a cascading effect on a bunch of different other you know, internet providers and the users, of those internet providers and things got really messy for a while. For us, that was we saw the issue. We understood the issue. We shut off those paths. We rerouted around those carriers using other carriers because we had our own infrastructure in place. We were able to clean that up and, and avoid those issues. That takes that questionable internet connection and makes it a, a heck of a lot better. Now, mm. I'm not going to say it's going to make every internet connection perfect. There will be scenarios where you are too far on the edge, right? You are using DSL. You're just too far from the DSLAM to get that, that next level of, of support or that next level of performance. But we're going to be able to see that. 
right? We're going to have the visibility and the performance into that to be able to tell you that is indeed the issue. And mm. this is the employee that you should roll LTE or cable or satellite or fixed wireless or whatever it may be. It's those ones that we need to clean up. It's not this blanket statement of, hey, we just need to throw LTE everywhere and hopefully it fixes the problems, but we don't really know. We're just going to spend money and cross our fingers. So yeah, to your point, and I'm happy to name companies. I, I have no shame. Um, <laughs> so earlier this year, Spectrum on the East Coast had a huge problem, not with any you know, video or voice provider, right? In the like North Carolina, South Carolina region. And it took them over a week, uh, sometimes close to two for all of that to get cleaned up. And in the meantime, all of these providers, right? The vendor, the MSP are burning time just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, so that's number one. Number two, um, you know, trying the amount of man hours it takes to diagnose an issue. Um, and then to start determine what to do about it, right? A lot of the time, there's just not enough visibility, right? To know like where to go with it, right? They, yeah. They're calling, they're calling, they're calling, they're calling. That's it. That's Unless it. you get to somebody high enough in the food chain, you're getting the, have you tried turning it off and on again? Yeah, I, I think there's a really important point there that you said you're calling and calling and calling, right? So, so for an MSP, right? If a customer, whether it's in their home or in their business location, if they have a Wi-Fi issue, you got a Wi-Fi guy on staff. He's a Wi-Fi rock star. He knows it inside out. He can troubleshoot it. He can fix it at the end of the day. You got a firewall issue. You got a firewall rock star on staff. She can get in there and troubleshoot it and, and fix it and make sense of it at the end of the day. You've got a switching issue. Well, you've got a few different people on the team that are phenomenal with your switches. You've standardized on a given switch. You know that thing inside and out. You're ready to go. You got an internet issue. What do you do? You sit on hold like the rest of us, right? There is no expert there. Maybe you know somebody that used to work at the cable provider or at the telco, and they may have an end around, but that is not a scalable solution by any means. And what happens when that person's on vacation? Either your employee that knows somebody or the person that they know that there's nothing there. That's where taking back control of the internet with SD-WAN becomes so critical for MSPs, whether it's supporting work from home or work from the office. That's the that's the missing link. That's the third leg of the stool. You got the land figured out. You're kicking butt with that. You're doing a really good job. You've done a great job figuring out SaaS and cloud tools and standardizing, but that stool can't stand on two legs. You need that third leg, and that third leg is the internet connectivity, and the control you have over that is is SD WAN. So it's interesting. Back back to my Spectrum example, where a lot of our partners and it wasn't just us. It was mega Fortune companies yep. all affected. It turns out that the route, right? So a lot of people don't realize that just because you're connected to the Comcast or the Verizon or the Time Warner or the Cablevision or whoever it is, that's just within their network that they control. They still have to cross yep. over into other providers, other, other backhaul connectivities, you know, going from Comcast network to Verizon's network per se. Or if you're going to an Amazon application, they got to go through, you know, like uh, an intermediary that kind of connects between the local provider's network and the far end, right? And so the pipes in between these carriers is kind of what you tried to reference earlier those pipes, those are the bottlenecks. If you could have the best connectivity on your cable modem or on your fiber or whatever it is, but then once you have to cross networks, that's where things can get out of like completely out of control. Yep. Yeah. And, and the, the complexity of those issues is an order of magnitude higher than the complexity of the issues in the last mile, right? The last mile issues are far more prevalent and I think carriers are working to do that. SD-WAN does a great job of, of mitigating that. But you take that to that next level, you get to those backbone issues and, and man, they get messy. And the interdependency between carriers is surprising if you're not living in the middle of it day in and day out. And how one random issue can cascade through a whole bunch of, of other networks and cause all sorts of heartache. And if you don't have a strategy around that, you know, you're stuck on hold, right? And, and you're hoping. And Again, before the cloud, before SaaS, that meant you weren't getting email, you weren't getting web browsing. Today, that means no voice, right? No Zoom, no ERP, no CRM, no electronic health records in the cloud, no point of sale in the cloud, et cetera. So what, shouldn't the ISPs be upping the pipes on the back end of their networks as more subscribers are active on their, like, what are they doing? Is it, is it really, they don't care 
or is it just whatever's more profitable for them? And, and- I think it's yeah, I think it's easy to say they don't care or they're more money. I, I think it's just the nature of the complexity of the issue and how many different networks we're dealing with um, and how much different stuff is out there and not having that 10,000 foot view over everything, which is where the visibility of our platform has, has made all the difference that we can see all these networks, we can understand what's going on and, and we can adapt to that. Um, it's just a level of intelligence and and insight that the carriers themselves don't have. Um, And even if they were to have that, that insight may be limited only to their own network and not the network that they're peering with. So there's a lot that that goes into it. I I think, trust me, we exist because of problems on the internet, right? So I'm not going to sit here and paint a picture that that the internet is is this perfect place. Uh, At the same time, I don't think this is simply a matter of, oh, the carriers just haven't stepped up. They haven't got the job. These are super complex problems that you need very intelligent software, very complete um, and, and, and powerful solutions to uh, address at the end of the day. And, and that's the opportunity that we saw and where we fit into not only the, the work from home market, but the, the broader business application and cloud networking market. So, so let me, let me go, go a step further then. So have, how far are you in terms of establishing links pipes between your data centers, your network, and the last mile provider. And then on the flip side, are you saying that you now have pipes to Azure, to Salesforce, to uh, Google, to wherever? Like, how, how does this all plug together? Yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of the architecture, right? So the way that our platform works, we have that on-site router. So let's, let's use my home right now, right? Okay, so um, I'm using Zoom right now. Um, I am, there's a, a Wi-Fi AP behind me. So I'm, I'm Wi-Fi to there. That's hardwired down to my router and then to my, my big leaf router. So from that big leaf router, my traffic is tunneled over the top of, I have two internet connections in my home. Um, I have a, a Comcast coax connection and I have a frontier DSL connection. The traffic is tunneled over top of those. Notably big leaf didn't have to go out and establish relationships with either Comcast or frontier our tunnels work over the top of that internet connection the same way a VPN does, right? You don't have to go ask your carrier for permission to set up a VPN. Same thing with SD-WAN. We set that right up over the top of it. So, so we're tunneling over the top of Comcast network and over the top of Frontier's network over the backbone of, of the internet to our nearest pop. So I'm located in Portland, Oregon. The nearest big leaf pop is in Seattle, Washington, right? So now I'm tunneling all that traffic to Seattle. At Seattle, the big leaf infrastructure is deployed, um, co-located in a major data center that is a part of the Seattle Internet Exchange or the six. So we peer on the six and by peering on the six that gives us direct connectivity, direct handoff to Microsoft, to Google, to anybody that's peering on that exchange. Now that pop that we have in Seattle is one of seven domestically and another three in, in Europe. And we have our backbone connecting all of these as well. So if there is a peer that I need to reach that is maybe on the Seattle Internet Exchange, but is another one of our pops, the Big Leaf platform can still carry that traffic to that peer and hand it off at that point. Or if we can't, if we don't have direct peering relationships, which we don't with plenty, there, there are plenty of, of, of people that we don't peer with directly, but we peer with their underlying carriers and we peer with the underlying CDNs that, that they're using and the peering that we're using and the place that we're connecting to them are the biggest, fattest, healthiest pipes on the internet where we avoid a, a lot of the problems that are causing heartaches out there. Okay. So if there's a connectivity issue between the home office and, uh, you know, my VM in Microsoft. Do I call you first? Like, where does my support? We take a lot of pride and call us first. That's, I think, much like the, our, our mutual MSP partners who, while they're, they're technology specialists, their value to their customer is the support, right? It's just making things work. You know, I, I think there's plenty of MSPs say, call me first. Let me get in the middle of this, figure out what's going on. We take the same approach. Our approach to support is not one of, Let's use the data to eliminate Big Leaf and point the finger somewhere else, right? But, but rather one of, hey, how do we use that, that 10,000 foot view that I was just talking about? How do we use all that data to figure out where the heck the problem really is and get resources pointed at that? Because that's the key in troubleshooting, right? Is just, how can we figure out where the problem is as fast as possible to put as many resources as we can at, at fixing that one thing? And that visibility we have does that. It may be a LAN issue. And we can see everything was clean from the internet coming in. The issue didn't present itself till it hit the land. Great. Go focus your efforts on the land. 
we could see, hey, it is an internet issue. Look at this, that, that you have two internet connections, you have SD-WAN, but both of them are having issues right now. We can, can point at that issue. Um, we could say, hey, it actually, it looks like it's the internet's fine. When we're crossing out here, it's, it's when we get to your UCAS provider, it looks like we're seeing an issue there. So the UCAS provider can focus their efforts there and not spend a bunch of time finding other places. Or it could be us. We're not perfect either, right? Like we take a lot of pride in the transparency that, that we provide to our customers and, and to our partners saying, hey, here's where the issue is on our and we're going to focus on this. We're going to fix on this. The important thing is that we figure out where the issue is as fast as possible and put as many resources at that to fix it. So, so let's say for the example that it's actually an ISP issue somewhere along the chain. Is the idea that I take your visibility, call up the ISP and say, this is actually the issue or are you getting on the phone with me? How does that old transaction work? More than happy to sit on the phone with you. We can't initiate the call on your behalf, right? But we will sit on that phone call. We talk to carriers on a regular basis. And this isn't a, hey, we're out to prove you wrong, right? And, and to show you that, that you messed up. It's about to say, hey, here's what we're seeing. What are you guys seeing? Let's match up our data, right? And let's see, okay, we both agree that, that this is the data. Um, people can disagree. People can lie. Data can't, right? If, if we're using the, the right information, we agree that, that it would there's integrity in the information, then there we go. Let's focus our efforts on that. And I think, again, taking that back to the work from home challenge, I think that's more important than ever because unlike in your business environment, right, where when you were calling into support, you were calling into a business support team. Right. Now, as an MSP, you've got, you're on the phone, you've got the employee that's in their house on the phone, and now you've got a residential internet provider that's supporting DSL or cable or, or whatever the heck it is, right? Like, they're working off of a script to troubleshoot stuff. And if you can help them, help them bypass 18 steps in that script and say, hey, we need to look at this one issue. Here's where we're seeing problems. Can you help us fix that? Man, everybody wins there, right? Everybody wins because the issue was addressed sooner. People are, are less frustrated. And I'm back to working on my Zoom video conference and I can still get my son on his Google Hangout and my wife's happy on Microsoft Teams. And, and at the end of the day, going back to this home office thing, that's what we're shooting for, right? Like, the, the, the ideal state for internet connectivity with SD-WAN over the top of it when it comes from work from home is that nobody notices. It's that everything Fair. works exactly the way that it's supposed to, that the, the employee can do what they need to, they can access the tools that they need to, they can thrive in their job even though they're working from home, and that the MSP that put that solution in place was able to put that in place without seeing their support load jump through the roof. And if and when there's an issue, they've got a tremendous amount of visibility and control into it and that they are thriving without creating a, a bunch of extra support for their organization. And they're learning how to be a better MSP in this work from home era because I don't think it's going away. I mean, I, I look forward to getting out of the house, right? And, and, and going back to, to restaurants, but you know what? Working from home hasn't been bad for me. You know, and when this thing's over, I'm probably going to spend a little bit more time doing it. And I expect there's going to be a lot of other people like that. I'm sure there's a lot of employers and a lot of employees that are looking at this and said, in light of everything, I see value in this. There's a work-life balance here. I can thrive in this scenario. And if as an MSP, you can help somebody build an environment where they can do that really, really well. Man, 85 million people working from home right now. That's a lot of, that's a lot of headcount, right? There's a lot of money to be made there. So you talked about the benefits of this all going in. Practically, though, right? I mean, the MSPs themselves are also working from home, um, and they're trying to support their work from home users. So what does the implementation look like, really, yeah. honestly? Yeah, so we expect every MSP to go into every user's house. No. <laughs> they can't get out there to do it, and people won't let them in. No, that's actually one of the things we take a tremendous amount of pride in. So one of the things we talk about is, is uh, autonomous software. Right, and the idea that, that writing manual policies, you just can't keep up these days, right? That, that applications are changing too fast. We're, in a, in, we're adding new applications to the network on a regular basis. Now you're adding new applications that you don't even know about. It's, one person's talking about a great scenario where, yeah, my MSP set up my firewall with my needs, but now my wife's MSP is sending a similar device. Which MSP wins, right? Well, in my house, probably my wife's MSP because well, it's my wife's MSP at that point, you know, happy wife, happy life. Um, how do we, we deal with that, right? And those sorts of challenges. So in our scenario, the network is intelligent enough to configure itself, 
So our deployment model is one of the router shows up pre-configured. It's a very simple ordering process, shows up at the customer prem. The install process is really as simple as plugging the internet connection to the appropriate port on our router. If you have multiple connections, you appro uh, put those in. And then from that router, you go directly into that Wi-Fi router or AP that, that you want to use. And that's it. We offer it in two flavors. We offer it with a, a, a dynamic IP address handoff or a static IP address handoff, depending on what your configuration is. If it's DHCP, man, plug it in. The thing rocks and rolls. If it if you decided you needed a static IP address, then you got to go set that on, on the Wi-Fi router. But that's it. There are no policies. There's no configuration. This is meant for the end user, the employee at home, to be able to install, uh, not for the MSP to have to go on site and do it. Dynamic IP address Okay, so um, let me ask this question then. What happens when the box blows up? Yep. So we do, there are two options depending on the way an MSP partner works with. So we have one program where an MSP actually does their own configuration. So at that point, they would have their own stock of inventory. They could simply run that. They just reconfigure it, run it out to the customer immediately. If we're doing the configuration, then we drop ship a replacement uh, on a, an overnight. So we get it out the door as fast as we can. Okay, fair enough. Um, how many, yeah, so, you know, just some going back to a little bit of stats here, right? You know, obviously there's 85 million people, according to you, now working remotely on their residential internet connections. I mean, how many do you think of the 85 million are running on an SD-WAN versus not? A fraction of a percentage right now. Yes. Okay. There is a so, very, very, very big market out there. And for the home users and the home internet connections, you know, from the aspect of um, who should they go with, right? Do you make recommendations if there's a shaky internet connection on what which direction to drive in or is it just we, whatever's available? It's what's available, right? I mean, think about how availability varies on a business to business location, man, that, that issue compounds even more when you get into residential, right? You know, I've got Comcast here, but you're in a place with spectrum. I live in a place that has frontiers, the telco, but so I'm out of Portland, Oregon. I'm actually on the West side of Portland. So frontiers, the Lex here, but if I go into downtown Portland, CenturyLink is the Lex. So I would get that from there. I've got your, you could go to LTE. You could go to fixed wireless. Maybe you need a satellite connection. It's, we are completely carrier agnostic. You go find what's available to use. We'll make it as pristine as humanly possible. And how realistic does this type of technology help with a 4G LTE type connection? I know significantly fairly new, but yeah, 4G uh, is pretty it, widely available. Significantly, because I, I think one of the things, the ubiquity of um, LTE is great, right? With the exception of there's still a few holes in America, but for the most part, it's available all over the place, right? But the variability is through the roof, right? It's it's awesome in this part of town it's horrible in this part of town i got a great at&t connection at, or signal at my house but if i go a block down to my neighbors it sucks right it, it, it's all over the place so being able to smooth out that variability is a, is a major impact interesting and you know so team zoom webex go to meeting phones you know netflix right is the real so this really helps more real-time communicate like it's noticeable there whereas if your email shows up a little bit later it's not a big deal i mean like where where are you going to see the the best impact you know i think you're going to notice it most in the most performance sensitive applications right so you're coming out of the voice world right voice is still the most performance sensitive application out there, sure. right so you're going to see that you're, well, you're going to see that you're going to hear that right you're going to notice that difference most significantly but Man, with with how significant video has been, and 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 Zoom and Microsoft Teams and WebEx and GoToMeeting and BlueJeet and, and on and on and on and on, um, because it's such a critical component of, of business right now, you're seeing a, a, a major uptick in that and, and the impact that's being felt from that. So how 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 much do you think SD WAN was involved in the NFL draft this past weekend? Uh, boy, I saw some connections going, man, I wish I had a, I wish I knew somebody over there because we could have made a lot of those connections look a hell of a lot better. There were some pretty rough <laughs> video conferences coming out there between that. And the other one is I see, uh, all these interviews on, on TV now, right. People working from home and, you know, some of the smartest doctors in the world and experts on this and professionals on that. And you look at like, well, they got that part figured out, but man, they have no idea how to set up a home network because that is a miserable connection. 
Yeah, they're they're trying to connect these people on Skype and Google Hangouts. I even yep. see Facebook Messenger starting to really, you know, with the video there, start to pop yep. up on some of these uh, news channels. Yeah, no, it was interesting over the draft, right? You're just like, man, I don't know where they wh- where that guy is, but his connection's not great. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. No, hey, Jeff. I mean, we started off with stats. We got into the plumbing of the internet. We talked about application variability. I mean, it's just very interesting because I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, I talk to MSPs all day long, and I've been at many events, traveled the world. I feel like the general consensus from the MSP is that uh, they don't find value in it for some reason. Like, yeah. what's the what's the best message to get through that noise? Well, I think they don't find value in it because what they've seen from SD-WAN up to this point um, has been the enterprise version of SD-WAN, right? It's been targeted at a customer that MSPs don't chase, right? So we look at this at a more practical manner. You don't have to see value in SD-WAN. You need to see value in ensuring that cloud and SaaS applications perform the way that they're supposed to for every user over any internet connection at any time of day regardless of the hand you've been dealt. That's your responsibility as an MSP, right? That's why your customers came to you is to make technology work. That's what we're bringing to the table. I don't need to carry the flag for all of SD-WAN. Frankly, a lot of SD-WAN solutions aren't great for MSPs because they weren't built for MSPs. They weren't, didn't have that in mind. We were, right? We approached this problem very uniquely to say, hey, how do we ensure that you can get to any cloud or SaaS application anytime you need to and it's going to work the way it's supposed to? Interesting. Um... All right, so the message to MSPs is take a second look. If you've looked at SD-WAN before or maybe you haven't looked at all in, in many cases, this is something that's worthwhile to yeah. spend a little bit of time on. And Drop the preconceived notions, right, and, and go into it, not with this concept, this is a different site-to-site network and I don't have sites to connect anymore. I got to connect to cloud applications. How do I build a site-to-cloud network? That's where it fits. Yeah, I'm sure all the people that just shifted out all those workloads to like virtual desktop. Exactly, exactly. They're about to find out. (laughs) Everyone's on the Microsoft kick, right? Microsoft virtual desktop, right? I mean, that's that's the the rage I hear right now. Uh, And same with Google. Um, Hey, Jeff, it was really great to have you on. Uh, Hopefully, this is like a topic that everyone's actually experiencing right now. I'm I'm very confident they are. Um, I'm very curious to see um like over the next six eight let's just say to the end of the year um how much this will start to bubble up to the top as the people who are running businesses are getting a little bit frustrated with people that can't actually do their work because of you know whatever the connectivity issue and challenges are um and i would love to also hear msps are spending a hell of a lot less time worrying about the, the internet connection and more time worried about how to provide other value with their time absolutely um, so that, that, that would be real critical from, you know, being able to see what, lo- what life looks like moving forward. Uh, for everyone that joined us today, and this was recorded, so obviously there's the playback option. You know, thanks for spending your time with us. Uh, the MSP Initiative runs webinars twice a week. Um, we're really not trying to sell anything to you. We're trying to talk about actual challenges uh, and what we can do to solve them. Um, I didn't see any questions pop through. Um, so if you have any questions, you can find Jeff myself and everyone else that's involved in the MSP initiative online. And I'm sure since we're all at home and we all have our you know, social media and everything else up and running, we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Thanks for watching. George, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. You got it. Have a good one. Thanks.